Hey folks, I am so glad to be able to introduce to you uh, Brother Walter Stevens. He's a friend of mine and I count it a privilege for him to be able to speak to us. He's one of our missionaries to the Gypsy people and uh, he's a powerful preacher. We've had him uh, live here uh, before, but I'm excited uh, about what he's going to say and what he's going to preach on. I want you to get your Bibles ready. I hope that your hearts are prepared and I'm looking forward to hearing from Brother Stevens about worldwide missions. This is your missionary Walter Stevens coming to you from Melbourne, Florida. I'm so glad that I can participate in your Missions Emphasis Month. I do miss the opportunity of being live in the service, but we do what we can do. But I'm thankful for your church's participation in our ministry. The Apostle Paul says to the Church of Philippi, not that I desire a gift, but it's our fruit that may abound to your account. And because of your prayers and your finances, investing in our ministry through the Roma Outreach Missions Association, our ministries in Pakistan, which we go every Friday via Skype, our ministries in St. Petersburg that's on hold, and of course our works in Eastern Europe and Melbourne, Florida. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin reading verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, by inspiration of the blessed Holy Spirit, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that uh, everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Now pay close, to, pay close attention to the phraseology. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, we give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have someone to answer them with glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. I believe in these portions of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that the Apostle Paul is giving his motivations for ministry why he does what he does. We're going to discuss three motivations, but before we do, let me introduce what I think the Apostle Paul is trying to accomplish in these verses. I believe the Apostle Paul's ministry has come under accusation, predominantly from the Judaizers, who according to these verses are glorying in appearance, but not in heart. Now, I believe the Apostle Paul's stance was no defense, is the best defense. But here, this church that he established is hearing the criticizing. The Judaizers are coming, telling them that if they don't live by the law, they can't go to heaven, etc., etc. And the Apostle Paul is giving them ammunition, more or less, for their guns, not to defend him, but to defend the truth of God's word and why God wants us to serve him. Watch what he says in verse uh, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he had done, whether it be good or bad. And then he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are manifest unto God, made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now watch, verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you. In other words, Paul's not commending himself to Corinth. He's not telling Corinth who he is. Corinth already knows who he is. He says, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have someone to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Mark it down, church, that when you're doing something for the cause of Christ, there'll be those out there to criticize. 
blows out there to find fault because they just not doing what you're doing, they don't want to, or they're just not able to accomplish all that you're doing. And so the Apostle Paul outlines three motivations for ministry. And you know what? I'm a person who needs to be motivated. My natural tendency in my culture is to procrastinate. Matter of fact, I'm a procrastinator. Uh, in my culture, most of the time, our culture sleeps to noon. I can sleep to noon. But like the Apostle Paul, I try to bring my body under subjection, lest when I preach the gospel, I myself shall become a castaway. And so I keep my body under subjection. I tell it to get up in the morning. I tell it when to go to bed. Why? That I may serve the Lord Jesus Christ with the best of my ability. And so I need motivation. Maybe you're out there at your church and you need motivation. You need motivation to be involved in the faith promise. You're giving at your church. Or maybe you need motivation to answer the call to serve the Lord in full-time service. I don't know what you need. But God reveals three motivations in these passages of Scripture. Follow along with me because I'm not going to be long. Here's the first motivation. You find it in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the done, whether it be good or bad. I call this the motivation of reward. God has promised a reward to the faithful servant. We long, my precious wife and I long to hear the Savior say to us someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Be thou ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I long to hear the divine accolade. I'm working to hear the divine accolade. And the Bible talks about the distribution of crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I didn't know we Christians were going to be judged. Oh, this is not the great white throne judgment. You're not going to be judged for your sins. Your sins were judged at the cross of Calvary. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And the Bible says that our sins have been nailed to the cross. Praise God for the finished work of Jesus that gives us the salvation that he offers to us so freely. But watch now. This is the judgment seat of Christ where rewards are going to be distributed. And the Bible teaches that there's five crowns available. I don't know about you, church, but I want to win all five crowns. Oh, and you might say, oh, Brother Stevens, we know you. You want to wear those five crowns all around heaven so everybody can say, there's Brother Stevens and his five crowns. No, I want to do what the Bible says in the book of Revelations, that the four and twenty elders will cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. I will not, I will not, I will not stand before my Savior empty-handed. I want you to picture that day. They're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ is the saints of old. Abraham is there. He's getting his crown. He's casting it at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus. Sarah's there. Esther's there. John the Baptist is there. All the saints of old, the patriarchs of old, are casting their crowns. And there before the Lord Jesus Christ is a mountain of crowns. I don't know about you, but this gypsy wants to get one crown on the top of that mountain and say, Jesus, this is for you. Listen to me, church. There is a motivation of reward. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we go. That's why we do what we do. Because we want to hear Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, that we may cast crowns at his feet. I want to give you the second motivation. You'll find it in the 11th verse. The first one was the element of reward. That's in verse 10. The second is in verse 11. Watch what Paul says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The Apostle Paul was in the business of persuading men and women and boys and girls into the kingdom. 
He was a great soul winner. He was a great evangelist and a church planter. And God used him mightily for his glory and for his honor. But watch what Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. You know what the terror of the Lord is? The terror of the Lord is that God's wrath, God's anger, God's judgment is going to be poured out upon those who reject his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that his, his anger is poured out without mixture and they'll be under the wrath of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who watched them in judgment. But watch them. Paul said, because I know the terror of the Lord. Because of the terror of the Lord, watch now. Paul was in fear that he was going to lose those that were around him. He had a burden for the Gentiles. He had the burden for his own Jewish people. He had the burden for kings and for those that God put him to witness because God told him that he was witness to kings and God used him in a mighty way. Are you being motivated by those that are around you? Let me ask you, church, you may not be concerned about the world. It's a big place. We're approaching 8 billion people. That's, that's mind-boggling. But let's bring it down to home. Do you have a fear that you might lose your mom and dad? Do you have a fear that you might lose your brother and sister, your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle? It should be a motivation. It's the motivation of fear because God's wrath is going to be poured out upon those who reject God's Son. That should be a motivation. It should turn you into a soul winner. It should turn you into a faith promise giver. It should turn you into someone who passes and distributes tracts and literature to those who are lost. Listen, for those who are the teeter-totter of decision about answer and call, it should push you over the line and say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life to serve you. We talked about the element of reward. The crowns will be distributed to be laid at the feet of Jesus. That's a, that's a motivation. We talked about the motivation of fear. Fear that we're going to lose those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said, others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. But I want to give you the best motivation. You'll find it in the 14th verse. The Apostle Paul says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Watch what he says now. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Paul's saying a couple of things in these verses. I'm not going to expound it all. But here's what he's saying. It's no more about me. My life doesn't matter anymore. He's the one who said in the book of Galatians chapter 2, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what Paul's saying. If one died for all, then we're all dead. It's no more me. It's Christ living his life through me. But watch now. Here's what he says. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. The word constraineth is a very unusual word. In the original Greek, it's the word suneko. And the word has several meanings. It means to be under arrest. It means to be perplexed. It means to be motivated. If I could use it in a reverent sense, it means to be, means to be drunken with the love of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. I am overwhelmed with the love of Jesus. Listen to me, church. When you're not concerned about a reward, when you don't care about the loss, watch now, be motivated by the love of Jesus. That's the love of Christ that saved your soul and promised you a home in heaven. That should motivate you. The love of Christ to constrain us. Listen, the Apostle Paul is saying here that the love of Jesus wakes him up in the morning. The love of Jesus carries him throughout the day. Watch now, church. And the love of Jesus pillows his head at night. I believe Paul is saying here that the love of Jesus wakes him up in the wee hours of the morning. And Christ says to him, Paul, fall down on your feet, on your knees, and worship me. Here's the question, church. Are you motivated by the constraining love of Jesus?
Remember what it was like when you first got saved? Man, you were ready to tell everybody. Big old pocket full of tracks, passing them out wherever you went. You had that big white family Bible, the one with the genealogies in it, and you had it under your arm telling people about Jesus. But disappointment, heartache, persecution, so-called unanswered prayers. Someone hurt you in church. The pastor disappointed you. And before you know it, there's no more tracks. You don't even carry a Bible anymore. Nobody really knows you're a Christian. You know what's happened? But Paul said to the church of Revelations, you've left your first love. Here's what Missions Conference is about. I'm going to be surprise you with something. You won't hear it from much, many independent Baptist preachers. Listen to me closely. It's not about souls. You say, oh, Brother Stephen, you better watch it. You're walking on holy ground. Listen to me closely. It's not about souls. Souls is a byproduct of our worship of Jesus Christ. We win souls to make sure that he gets the worship he deserves. Why? Because we're constrained by the love. When you're constrained about the love of Christ, you won't question whether you should go to church or not. When you're constrained by the love of Christ, you won't question whether you should get baptized. When you're constrained by the love of Christ, you won't question whether you should give up the cigarette or the alcohol, the drugs or the gambling. You won't question it. When you're constrained by the love of Christ, you won't question whether you should give your tithe or whether you should give the mission. You won't question anything. When you're constrained by the love of Christ, you won't question, what are you going to do about a paycheck if you answer the call? What's my wife going to say? What's my kids going to say? What's my mother and father going to say if I answer the call? You won't question it because you're going to be constrained by the love of Jesus. And the only thing that will matter is what Jesus thinks. Are you constrained? There's three motivations here. The element of reward. To make sure that Jesus gets his reward. Those crowns that are laying at his feet at Judgment Day. The element of fear. Fear that people that we know, our family, our friends, and the people who live on our street, where we pump our gas, where we buy our groceries, of whether they know Jesus, that we just might lose them. But most important of all, the element of love. Are you constrained by the love of Jesus? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to think about your personal motivations. Why do you go to work? Well, because I got to pay the bills. So you're motivated by that. Why do you plan a vacation? Because I want enjoyment. So you're motivated by enjoyment. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But according to what Brother Stephen said from the Word of God, there, there are three motivations that we ought to have. It's not wrong to work for rewards. I don't know where we get that, but it's not in Scripture. The Gospel of Matthew teaches us that. I want to ask you a question. How many people are you bringing with you to heaven? How many people are you bringing with you to heaven? Then there was the motivation of fear. 
that those around you that you know that don't know Christ. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know anybody who doesn't know Christ. That's even a bigger problem. And then the motivation of love. that Christ has for us. Paul tells us in one of his epistles that we would know the love of Christ, the height, the depth. I can guarantee you, folks, when we get to heaven, we are never going to regret time we spent witnessing we're never going to regret the money we gave we're never going to regret the effort that we put in this morning you might be here without Christ you may be wondering what we're talking about people being saved and born again and coming to know the Lord. Because of the situation, I'm not going to have an invitation per se, but if you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, after the service, I'd like you to come see me or you can see uh, one of my assistants, Brother Richard or Brother Tyler or whoever, and we can be able to show you from the Word of God what that all means. You say, well, I'm not ready to make a commitment. I just want to find it. That's the, you can just get some information. We're not going to force you into any type of commitment because it's a personal commitment. We can't make you get saved. It's your choice. But church, I'm going to ask you the same thing that I've asked you every single week. same invitation oh I've asked you this morning to think about your motivation and we need to but how many of you would commit to say pastor I am praying or I will pray about my part my responsibility my motivation for reach 2035 for our grace giving for our primary project say, Pastor, I'll pray with you. I've been praying. Just slip up your hand with mine, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Say, Pastor, I'll pray. I will pray about my part. I will pray. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Father, you saw the many hands that were raised all across the auditorium. I pray that you would help us evaluate our own personal motivations for why we do what we do when it comes to your work. Lord, help us to have biblical motivations. Help us all to desire to hear, well done. 
Help us to realize, be motivated by your terror, by fear that the people around me that I love, that I know, may end up dying and going to hell. And then thirdly, Lord, help us all to be motivated by your over-consuming, unfathomable love for us. Lord, I do pray that if there is one here this morning that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that you would convict their heart, draw them unto yourself. In thy name we pray, amen.